If you have your Bibles, go to Nehemiah chapter number 3. Nehemiah chapter number 3. And uh, at Nehemiah chapter number 2. I'm sorry. Nehemiah chapter number 2. And uh, appreciate Brother Logan, Solway, some of them being with us tonight. It's an honor to have them with us. And uh, they're my friends as well. It's good to have friends. Amen. Brother Logan, he's a blessing. <clears throat> but I'll save that for when I get to his church. Uh, but anyway, Nehemiah chapter number two. Uh, let's, um, would it be all right if we stood for a moment while we read a few verses? Bible said in verse number 12, and I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain in the king's pool. There was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews nor the priest, nor the nobles, nor the rulers, nor the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, and this, this is where my thought lies in this, this statement. Then said I unto them, you see the distress that we are in. How that Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow in Your presence again this evening, Lord, I'm so thankful for a place together with God's people. Lord, I'm thankful for uh, the pastor of this place and the dear man of God that he is. And Lord, I'm thankful for all that they labor and do here. Lord, I pray tonight as we stand in this place behind this sacred pulpit, God, we know that in ourselves we can say nothing nor do anything of any eternal value or consequence. God, I know tonight that if you would resonate down in our hearts, speak to us and speak through us, Lord, that every one of us tonight could lead a change, charge, a challenge to be used by you in the days to come. Lord, only you can take the singularity of the message and touch the heart of the masses. So God, I pray tonight that you would do that. That your sweet spirit would have free course to move in our midst and touch hearts. God, I pray tonight for that one that may be lost. I pray that their eyes would be open to the need of their soul. God, they would be saved. Lord, I need you tonight. I don't want to be as one that beateth the air. Lord, I don't want to be as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So God, help us to preach plainly and powerfully. The Word of God without fear and without favor. We'll thank you tonight for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You'll be seated. I look in Nehemiah uh, chapter number 2. Of course, we know that uh, Nehemiah has a great burden to go back and 
to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And the vision that Nehemiah has uh, begins in his heart and in his heart alone. Uh, he makes it plain within the text that there's nobody else that uh, perceives things or uh, analyzes the situation quite like he does. And uh, he hasn't spoken to anybody about what God has laid in his heart to do. And so in the middle of the night, where we begin to read tonight, they, they arise and they go and they begin to walk around the city. As they walk around the city and they walk around and behold the ruins of the walls, nothing really is said. They go to this gate and to that gate and there's not much of a conversation made. Just merely a gazing of, of the destruction and the devastation that is left in the wake of the great fall. And as Nehemiah goes around and they begin to uh, look and behold those things, he comes to verse number, verse number 17, and he says this. He says, you see the distress that we are in. I wanted tonight to take that and from the text of the Lord ahead me for a few minutes, talk about now that we see, now that we understand. You see, Nehemiah has taken a group of people and they have marched around the city, they have seen the evidence of great destruction and disobedience. And as they have done that, Nehemiah says, you see the distress that we are in. I believe it is in Proverbs that the Bible tells us that where there is no vision, the people perish. And my mind goes back to uh, the early stages of this year. Uh, we begin to enter into 2020 and it seemed like everywhere you turn that uh, men were mounting pulpits and preaching, oh, uh, God, give us a vision uh, in 2020. Or oh, Lord, give us 2020 vision. And boy, doesn't that sound wonderful. Man, we need God to open our eyes. Uh, that sounds very spiritual. And I mean, you couldn't hardly resist with it being 2020. But you see, I think something happened that maybe we didn't intend to happen. It's so hard to get God's people to unify. It's so hard to get God's people to be in one mind and one accord. It, it's so hard to get us to come together and settle our hearts and our affections on one thing. But it seemed like in the in the beginning of the year, whether we meant to or not, that almost all of God's people had come together and said, God, give us a vision. God, open our eyes. And you know what happened? He did it. Now, I, all I can do is preach like I, I'm an old mountain preacher. And so, ponchos, first two rows back, that kind of stuff. And y'all just get with me where you can and hang on. And, and so, I, I think about how that, man, we all wanted to see something. We wanted God to open our eyes. And, and then things begin to come out. I mean, God began to really peel things back and begin to open our eyes to the condition of the world that we're living in. 
We saw the the the, the child and the sex trafficking networks. Uh, I mean, uh, just opened up, and we begin to see things uh, and to understand things at a whole nother level. Uh, we saw, I mean, disease and pandemics break out. We saw political upheavals and, and turmoil and chaos. And uh, man, we're still in the midst of assembling uh, all of it. But what God has shown us is that things really are as bad as the preacher's been saying they are. We for too long lived in our happy little bubble and in our complacent Christianity, sitting on our pew of do nothing and then thinking that uh, everything was uh, kitty cats and rainbows, uh, amen, butterflies and unicorns and uh, things of that nature. Uh, but friends, the reality is we're in a sin-cursed world, living in sin-cursed body, and the prince and the power of the air and the spirit of Antichrist doth already work. Uh, hey, and sin is running rampant in this hour. And God has opened our eyes. God has opened our eyes. And sadly, I believe that many have, have once their eyes have been opened, have begun to ask God saying, Lord, let us go back to where we once was. Let us go back to that complacent Christianity. Let us go back to that the comfort, uh, amen, of, of ignorance and not knowing or understanding the dire need and strait uh, that we're in. God, let us go back to not understanding the lateness of the hour. The problem is this. is once you receive light, once you receive understanding, once you receive instruction and knowledge, you cannot enter in back into ignorance. You cannot go back into that, into that state where you can no longer say, the Lord, I didn't know. And so all of those Christians that were saying, well, I didn't realize it was that bad. I didn't realize the need was that great. I didn't realize that, that winning souls was that serious. I, I didn't realize that my attendance to the house of God and my faithfulness to the things of God. I didn't realize my prayer closet. I didn't realize my family. I didn't realize my faithfulness was as important as it was. But you can't go back where you used to be. Everybody wants things to get back to normal, but the reality is we're never going back to where we once been. And that's not only politically, that's not only physically, that's not only socially and financially and all the other ways, but spiritually, we cannot go back to where we once were. So what can we do? We do like Nehemiah does. As God has opened our eyes and we to see the distress, we make a decision on what, what path we're going to take. You see, there's some that now that God has peeled things back, they completely got out of church. Maybe you don't have none here, but in my place, I, I, there's some that they just all but got out. Those days where uh, so we couldn't have church in the building and uh, those days where we sat in our cars and those days we met in inconvenient ways, but we met nonetheless. Many took as an opportunity to take a vacation uh, from God and that vacation uh, has turned into a sabbatical and they've left and uh, they have no intention of coming back. But then there's those that are here tonight. You're not that crowd. 
I'm not preaching to that crowd tonight, so I'll just, I'll, I'll cut that 20 minutes and preach it out. We're here tonight. And you're here on a Monday night. It's our first real cold snap of the winter. And the first cold snap that comes through, it always, it seems colder than what, what it really is. And man, if there's ever a night where it'd been easy to sit in the house underneath your fuzzy little blanket and watch Fox News or CNN and wear yourself to sleep, I mean, tonight's that night. But you're here. You're here. And the reality is, you being here, it isn't because you're trying to get back to that place that you were before everything took place. You're not trying to get back to that place that you were and then before your eyes were opened. But you're here tonight because your eyes were opened and you realize there is a cause and you realize there is something worth fighting for and you realize there is something worth being faithful to and there is a name worth lifting up and there is a song worth preaching and there is a word worth preaching and there is hey, there is a work worth doing, amen. That's what Nehemiah that's what Nehemiah is trying to get everybody to see. You see, this is the thing. We can look back, we can everyone look back over this year, and we can magnify all the negative things that have took place. We can magnify all the social sins that have become so prevalent. We could talk about how that pedophilia has become legal in California. We could talk about all that the liberals are doing to destroy our country. And we could talk about all the, the, the sickness and those that have been affected by death. And, and truthfully, every one of us probably knows somebody that's been affected by these days, whether physically or financially or spiritually or emotionally or many. They've been troubled. They've been in turmoil and distress. And they've been bothered. And, and man, it's real. And I'm not making light of that. I'm not making light of the ones that have lost loved ones to the COVID. I'm not making light of those uh, that saw their house get uh, taken back because the factory was closed down. Or I'm not making fun of them. I'm not, I'm not belittling your circumstances. Uh, but this is what I'm saying. As I look back through it all, uh, as I look back at 2020, as I look back at this year uh, and all that God has revealed to me, uh, I don't just see the bad things. I see the good things and the God things. The ones that God has touched. The ones that God has healed. The ones that God has helped. And I must declare, bless His holy name. Uh, sister told me that y'all have been blessed and not many have been sick. Well, it ran through my church like crazy. Month and a half, two months ago, uh, they was just this one and that one was getting sick. Elderly folks, young folks, all kinds of people. And uh, luckily, we're past it. And I think everybody in my place now has got immunity to it. But in all of that, in all of that, you know what I see? I see God was faithful. God was faithful. He 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 was. He was just as good then as He was before it all broke loose. And just as much God then as before it all broke loose. I look back at those meetings where we met out in the cars and had the FM transmitters and they stood out on the porch and, and preached to individuals and had open air meetings and things of that nature because 
And we just wanted to have church. And I look back and you know what I found? I found a God that was faithful. I found a God that still met with us and, and still anointed the preaching and still blessed in the singing. And folks still got saved. And saints still got held. And sheep still got fed. I see those that did lose loved ones. I see many of my dear old saints had family and friends that died. But you know what? He was a faithful friend of the end. And they didn't cross Jordan alone. And those set up in the nursing home. And those locked up in the hospital. You say it's awful. They're in there by themselves. But if they're a child of God, they're not alone. Lo, I'm with you always. And I say, bless the Lord. Bless His holy name. You won't find yourself in a place He's not faithful. You won't find yourself in a place He's not able. Amen. Sometimes I enjoy my own preaching. I apologize. So what do we do? What do we do now that we've surveyed the walls? What do we do now that we see the distress that we're in? How Jerusalem lieth waste. Gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. There's some building to be done. There's some building to be done. And he says that we be no more reproach. And I told him the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Now you go on in the text and you read, that not only did they prepare to build, but they prepared to battle. There was a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. When I was just a preacher boy, I worked for my father-in-law laying brick. And we'd lay retaining walls. And we'd lay foundation walls. And we'd lay brick over in Oak Ridge and Clinton and different areas. And we'd come down here and brick those houses and different things. But I never did roll up on a job site where I saw somebody... Amen. Toting a 45 on their hip. I never did roll up on a job site where men were on the scaffold carrying a trowel in one hand and a sword on the other. If I did, I would have left. Amen. I don't want to work on that crew. But in Nehemiah's day, that's what they did. A trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. You say, preacher, why? Because there's, there's a time things need slaying. And then there's times where things need to be laid. And so uh, what, what, what I'm trying to say to us tonight is now that we realize everything that's took place, it's not just a, a battle against that which is evil, but it's a call to build that which is right. Most of us will focus on the battle that lies ahead. Most of us want to focus on the liberal agenda, on the communistic ideology that is sweeping across our land. Most of us want to focus on the homosexuals rising up and the transgender crowd. Most of us want to focus on all the things that we rightfully show ought to be standing against, drawing a line and declaring what the Holy Word of God says. But if we're Careful, we'll spend all our time battling and not be building. I just want to challenge you tonight to build while you battle. 
build while you're battling. I'm not telling you tonight to lay down your sword. I'm not telling you tonight to, to, to turn ahead or, or put your head in the sand like an ostrich and act like it ain't there. Cause it is. But it's always been there. There's nothing new under the sun. I got out a tape, a cassette tape of my grandfather preaching last Sunday and was listening to it before I went to church. It was back in the seventies. And, uh, he was preaching against alcohol. He was preaching against, uh, uh, prostitutes. And he was preaching against, uh, homosexuals. And you know what he said? He said, these things ain't just come on the scene. They've been around for a long time. They may be more prevalent now out in the open than they've ever been before. But they've always been there. Amen. And, and, and I'll say it's more prevalent today than it was then. And man, I got to listen to him. And he got to preach and he got to saying things. And he said things that if I said them tonight, he's preached on the radio. If I said them tonight, Brother Toby would have to sit me down. Cause a fight, five will break out. I mean, preachers used to preach hard. Preachers used to call sin for what it really is. I, they didn't tiptoe through the tulips and hug next to everybody and have some big ecumenical movement. Hey, there's a reason we're to be separate. There's a reason we're independent Baptists. There's a reason we don't join up with everything that flies under the flag of religion. And I say it's it's as much worth fighting today as it's ever been. Preach hard. Preach straight. Live right. Live clean. Do what God has called you to do. But don't forget to build. Too many have made their ministries about the battle. And not carry the burden to build. This is my goal, Brother Toby. My goal is for our bus ministry to get up to a hundred kids this year. That may not sound like much to some, but before COVID, we was running 40, 50. Since COVID, we've dropped down, got all the way down there into the, into the tens. Now it's picked back up. We're back in the twenties. Sometimes we'll have 30. And I don't want a hundred just so I can have a hundred. But if I got a hundred youngins sitting on a pew on a Wednesday night listening to a preacher, that's a hundred youngins that ain't out there in the world listening to the devil and doing what the devil's crowd's doing. Building ain't about a number. Building is a necessity. You understand what I'm saying? You say, well, preacher, I'm, I've done that when I was younger, but I'm too old now. Are you now? No, it's Monday night. I can't come on, but Toby, it's Monday. I gotta wait till Wednesday to be mean. This is what I've realized. I, I, I there's things that I want to say I'm too old to do. And there are some things I am too old to do. I tried to play ball with the kids the other night. In my mind, I could see myself making that move, taking that ball. Mmm. Spirit indeed willing. But the flesh was weak, mainly in the knees. I broke my own ankles. But just because you can't do what you used to do does not excuse you from doing what God has told you to do. Does that make sense? You see, my preacher always said our problem isn't what we're 
It's what we don't, isn't what we don't know. It's that we're not obedient to what we do know. And if we would become, become once again obedient to what we do know, if we would get back to truly having a prayer closet, if we'd get back to truly having a burden for souls, if we get back to truly believing that God is able, boy, that sounds good to open up a church service. That sounds good in a testimony time. But can I tell you when it's real good? When you go out there and you see God do it in your life and you see God bring people in and you see the church grow and you see sinners saved and you see God move. You say, preacher, why are you so passionate about this? Because I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of being that preacher that focused on battling all that was wrong and failing to preach and do that which is right. Man, I used to be adamant. I'd knock on doors. I'd go out in the community. I'd witness to the waitresses and, and the folks that went on my tables. I'd witness the folks that checked me out at Walmart. Didn't matter if their hair was purple. Didn't matter if they'd fell face first in a tackle box. Didn't matter. Tattooed, earlobed the ankle. Didn't matter. Used to, I'd go to the jail and I'd preach. I'd go to the nursing home and I'd preach. I'd go to the hospital and I'd this. And they said, I can't do that. They won't let me. And when they let me, I'm going back to it. And I, 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 and God dealt with me about this. I've been preaching this everywhere I go. Because I was focused too much on the battle. Not on the building. Man, we read the rest of Nehemiah. There's a lot of us that want to focus on the, on those so-called friends, those ones that, uh, like Sambalot and Horniah, I can't Tobiah, I can't even say their names. Amorite, all of them. We want to focus on what they did and how they was working against Nehemiah, all the conspiracy against him and, and fighting against all that mess. And, and don't get me wrong, that's still there. Do you know what went on in the midst of all that? There's some building done. And you know what ought to be going on? The church that truly believes the Word of God. The man of God that truly believes this Bible. The people that want to see God move. I don't care how wicked the world gets. I don't care if Biden's in office or Trump's in office. It don't matter how many pandemics there are. Hey, the church has always thrived under persecution. And we ought to be no different. Let us arise and build in this house. Been guilty of being that man. Say, preacher, so what do we, what do we do? Well, number one, we recognize that these walls, this place, this city was a place of past victories. Remember what it used to be. We walked around Jerusalem and we remembered, you remember the stories of the gates? You remember the stories and the songs and and the things we heard about what God did here. How God brought us here. How God delivered this place in our hand. We look at it now and it's not what it used to be. It's lost its former glory and luster. And the sad reality is that's the way many of us approach the church. The church ain't what it used to be. Used to them old time saints that shout. It's used to Man, the power of God would fall and the glory would move in and sinners would fall under conviction where they had to either run to an altar or run out the back door. Let me still be that way. I refuse. If you're looking for somebody that, uh, to tell you that we're victims of, pros- uh, of prophecy and that 
that the church can't grow and you can't see nothing done, you found the wrong preacher. Because I've done read my Bible. I've done experience too much. Last Sunday, there's a boy that I've been working on for three years. He, uh, he, he helped put shingles on my house. And then uh, later on, he was on other jobs and I was doing it. And I just witnessed to him and I witnessed to him and I witnessed to him. And he kept coming up with all these excuses. Every excuse he had, I had, I, Lord, give me a, an answer for it. Had him come to the house of God, come to the house of God. He finally come to church just, just so I'd leave him alone. He said, he said, I'm going to come just to show you that I ain't afraid to come. And old Grizz, he's, his name's Grizz. That tells you anything. He's kind of rough. I'll tell you where I met him first after, uh, actually before he's putting shingles on my house, I preached to him when he was in the jail. And he's, he's putting shingles on my house. He said, you don't remember me, do you? I said, you look familiar. He said, I was in the jail when you was in there preaching that, that revival. And I and, and got to talking to him and just working with him. And I just tried to love on him. Just tried to love on him and just show him that God loved him. And he come to church. But the Lord help us preach. And then this is the part where most evangelists say, man, he got saved. Lord's for saved. But he didn't. Because sometimes they don't get saved the first time. Sometimes they don't get saved the second time. Sometimes they don't get saved the third time. Sometimes they don't get saved in your lifetime. But it's worth giving your life to try to see one saved. And he, he come and we got back to the church van and I began to drive him home. And uh, I, I, I told him, I said, now Grizz, I need to ask you something just point blank. I said, are you saved? He said, well, I think I am. I said, well, that ain't going to cut it. Salvation ain't something you think about. Salvation is something you know. And, and if you're saved, you can know it. You, and so I began to talk to him a little bit. We got to his house. And he said, well, I, I think I am. Well, he began to call me that week. He called me crying. He'd say, he'd say, Curtis, you'll never believe what happened. I said, what, Grizz? My son ain't had nothing to do with me in years. He told me about it and straighten up when I, when he was 16. He told me about it and straighten up that he'd never speak to me again. He hadn't spoken to me since he's, since he was 16 and he's 22 and I haven't talked to him in forever. And he called me today. He said, Dad, I, I heard you was doing better. Can I come by and see you? He said, Curtis, why is God being good to me? Why is, why is God restoring things in my life when I don't deserve it? Why, why is God putting my life back together? And, and why is God delivering me from addiction? And, and why is God doing these things and I don't deserve it? I said, well, He's just a God of grace and mercy, Chris. And that's just what God does. That's just who God is. He said, I don't deserve it. But He, He come back to church and, man, we preach and we'd preach and we'd Sunday after Sunday. He'd sit back there and just cry. I talked to him and said, I'm afraid I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess up. I'm afraid I'm gonna get out. I'm afraid I'm gonna lapse. I said, Grizz, are you saved? I think I am. I wanna be. I don't know. I'd tell him how to be saved and I'd, everything you're supposed to, I'd do it. He wouldn't get saved. Last Sunday morning, I picked him up. I'll be honest. I went to church that morning not expecting a whole lot. 
I'd already gotten that place. I thought he he just gonna he just gonna sit back there. He ain't gonna move. Got up and I preached a real simple message. What nothing elegant or nothing real grand. Boy, he just cried the whole time. Give the invitation and he he sat back there and just had his head down, just crying. Never moved. I dismissed everybody after church was over and I turned around talking to one of my preachers. I felt somebody grab me and pull me backwards. Turned and looked. It was Grizz. He was crying. He couldn't even talk. He just pointed. I said, yeah, I'll pray with you, Grizz. We piled in that altar. I don't know what he said. I don't care what he said. Salvation ain't in a prayer. All I know is this. But he got up from there. He said, it feels like a million pounds has rolled off my back. He said, I'm tired of trying to do it myself. I'm tired of living it myself. If it's going to happen, God's got to do it. I said, well, that sounds right to me, son. Hey, I'm telling you, God is able. Amen. So I've asked God to help me. Get my focus back where it ought to be. Not just concentrate on the battle, but to recognize there's some building to be done. Man, the church used to be a place where victories were won. The church used to have that glory. It still can. It still can. You see, as you walk around those ruins, Nehemiah didn't walk around the ruins and dwell in what used to be, but he, but he saw what could be. You see, that's what I do when I go into them homes and we do all that remodeling. Where's, where's my salesman at? Been selling all them vinyl windows and nobody's getting back here. Yeah, God help you, sir. You walk into a place. Walk into those houses and you can see, man, if I take out that wall and open this up, I can take these rooms and rearrange how they're done and man, it flows so much better. You can do this and you can do that. And, and, and what a lot of folks would walk into and see, man, there ain't nothing. This, this place will never be nothing. You can buy it for next to nothing. And go in there with a vision and an ability. We've got, He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything's in our disposal that we need to get it done. All you gotta have is the vision and to get up and go to get her done. Walk in there and see, and you know what you do? You can turn something that's a mess into a masterpiece. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah recognized that this place was a place of past victories. Not only that, but there was some prominent adversaries. Sometimes what you're going to fight to build will not be the who or the what that you thought it would be. You know who's never troubled me about my, my, the ministries at my church? Who's never bothered me about going on soul winning or having revival meetings or spending money on things to, to, to try to reach sinners or having an al- alcohol referendum in Jamestown. We're a dry county and they've, they found this loophole to go through the city to try to get it in the city because there's smaller numbers and they think they can win. And so I've been fighting that for the last several months. We poured a lot of money as a church into, into fighting that. And can I tell you, it wasn't the drunks that I was 
I was having to argue with about buying vote no signs. It wasn't the drunks that I was having to argue with about buying airtime on the radio. It wasn't, it wasn't the drunks that sent me the hate mail. Hey man, I've got to file a hate mail in my office. Every good preacher ought to have some. Sometimes it's the breath that you battle. Sometimes it's some old deacon that's, that's worried about money and worried about clinging on to this and clinging on to that. But Toby, if I cause you trouble, you just send me home. But I'm, I'm tired of, of going into places and them stockpiling cash and their pews be empty. I'm tired of going into places and them acting like they're doing something by God, for God just by keeping the lights on and the doors open. Amen, preacher. We're glad you come this week. We'll be here tomorrow night. I hope you are. Prominent adversaries. And a purpose vision. A purpose. Not just to battle, but to win. Fight the good fight. Endure hardness as a soldier. Press towards the mark, the prize, and the high calling of God. Don't, don't, don't stop on that. But you don't forget, as you fight, every once in a while, lay a block. So, preacher, I don't know how to lay a block or mix some mud. Well, preacher, I don't know how to make mud. Well, well, <coughs> shovel some sand, carry some brick, set up some scaffolds. Well, preacher, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Well, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which gives every man living. Quit making excuses, you're just lazy. What a blessing. Uh, I wonder tonight. I'll quit. I wonder tonight. Man, it's, it's crunch time. Mars, the election. Everybody's talking. Don't matter where you go. I mean, what are we going to do? What are we going to do if Biden gets you? What are we going to do if, if Trump gets you? What are we going to do if they ride in the streets? What are we going to do if they try to break in our homes? What, what are we going to do here and what are we going to do there? When I was a little boy, gas prices went up real high. And I remember, I remember going to church, just a boy, and everybody was talking about gas prices. The preacher was preaching on gas prices. <laughs> I don't know how, but he did. And, uh, as this wise old man stood up after the service was over, said, everybody wants to know what we're going to do. The gas prices go $5 a gallon. But I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. So we're going to pay it or we're going to walk. Say, so, preacher, that's awful simple. Well, the Christian life really ain't that hard. Trump wins, you know what we ought to be doing? Building and battling. Trump loses, you know what we ought to wake up Wednesday or New Year's Day and do? Build and battle. Build and battle. On the days things need slaying, slay. But on the days that bricks need laying, lay. Build and battle. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. 
I hope I've said something that's helped this people. I hope that I've not said anything that would hurt this preacher. God, I pray tonight that you'd help Wall Ridge Baptist Church build and battle. Lord, I know the hour's late. I want to be found serving you. I don't want to just be focused on one side. Lord, I don't want to be, I don't want to be so lax that I don't fight what needs fight. But Lord, I don't want to be so focused on the fight that I fail to win those that need winning. God, help me. Help this place. Help this people. In Jesus' name.